This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis 21. Pastor Cole sent me the lesson a couple weeks ago when he knew that he was going to be down preaching in Edenton uh, this Lord's Day. And, uh, and as I prepared the lesson, I won't ask this question, but it made me wonder, does he get all the way through these lessons when, okay. Uh, what he sent me could be a preaching series for the next two months. I'm looking at this thinking, wow and wow. So uh, you, you already have settled my heart. We'll get as far as we can, but uh, there's just a lot here, okay? And he doesn't leave any stone unturned. So Genesis 21, and we're going to see how far we can get with the first 21 verses, okay? But let's, let's start out uh, this way. The Christian life is a, is a journey of hills and valleys. Do you agree with that? It really is. Uh, and that nugget of truth is, is not something that's new to the church. In fact, uh, Scottish preacher George Morrison said this uh, a number of years ago. Solomon expressed the same idea in Ecclesiastes 3.4, uh, that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. Heaven is a place of unending joy. Aren't you glad for that? It's, it's just all blessing, peace, and joy. I can't wait. Just can't wait. And yet, even the contrast for the eternal destiny of man is, shows this great difference because for those who don't know Christ as Savior, hell is a place uh, where there is unending torment and suffering. While we're here on earth, we get to experience a little bit of both. Uh, maybe you've heard somebody say, here on earth, it's, you know, hell is here on earth. Well, you and I as believers know, as, as we look at the scripture's uh, description of hell, hell is not here on earth, and I'm thankful for that. Okay, But there, there are some pretty hellish things that happen here. There is darkness and, oh, it, so many problems. Okay, so, so we experience here on earth joy and sorrow, laughter, tears, peace, grief. You cannot have only the pleasant and avoid what is unpleasant. Now, this is certainly true of family life. The same people who bring us joy can also bring us sorrow. I hope you have a normal family. But even as I say that, a lot of you are looking at me going, yeah, what, what is, what's your definition of normal? Okay. Uh, relationships can become strained and then change overnight. We wonder what happened to uh, our happy home. Uh, 
One Christian was sharing with me recently, he said he loved family reunions because when we got together and we're all eating and visiting, it, it made me think that, well, perhaps sometimes my family is normal. The truth is nobody's family can hang out a sign that says, nothing the matter here. The coming of Isaac into Abraham and Sarah's home brought both sorrow and joy. And as you look at the persons involved in the account in Genesis 21, you learn some valuable lessons about Christian doctrine and how to live the Christian life. Now, we have to be so careful because allegorizing Scripture is a great danger. You've all heard this statement, and it's a true statement. We can make the Bible say whatever we want the Bible to say, right? You can take a verse, a part of a verse, okay? Um, reminds me of the preacher, and I've never done this, and I don't understand preachers that do, but he just didn't know what God wanted him to preach, and so he, he, he did the, the method, okay, just open the Bible, what's there? And he, he saw the text, <laughs> said, Judas went out and hanged himself. And he's like, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's it. So puts his Bible down, looks up, opens it again, looks down and says, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> well, that's not going to work out so well, okay? If that's the, your approach to Scripture... That's not how God wants us to approach the scripture. And certainly, we shouldn't allegorize, explain away what God has said. But here's the thing. When you compare spiritual things with spiritual things, you can see from the New Testament, when under inspiration, the Holy Spirit led biblical writers to treat accounts in the Old Testament as allegory because, in fact, while God was directly working in lives in the Old Testament to bring out his plan of redemption, bring about his plan of redemption, he also, within those lives, caused things to happen that would help explain spiritual truth. Thus, the truths that, and, and, and some of these accounts then become, they're not only true, but they become allegories of other biblical truths that God wants us to see. And when the Holy Spirit does that, that's okay. When you and I just decide that we're going to make Scripture say whatever our, our fancy is, that's not, that's not correct. We shouldn't do that. All right, so what are some things that we can learn in this account from Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Ishmael, Hagar? Are there, careful here, deeper biblical truths that God wants us to see that in fact he does draw out of these narratives to help teach biblical doctrine? And the answer is yes. So number one in your outline, Abraham and Sarah. They are testimonies, examples of faith and promise. Faith and promise. Look at verse one of Genesis 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the same time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Now you need to just pause for a moment and understand that's where the name Isaac comes from. Isaac's name means laughter. And so that was on Sarah's mind. That's why they named their boy what they did. God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I am born, I have borne him a son in his old age. Now let's just make this real practical for a moment. I'm speaking to our seasoned saints at Good News. You are a blessing. But now think with me. What kind of laughter would there be at Good News if this happened? One of you ladies came in on a Sunday and announced you had been to the doctor. You're expecting a baby. You just proved the point. I hear laughter. Okay? Maybe what I'm not hearing is some groans and some moans. But I'm hearing laughter. And that's in Abraham and Sarah's day. Okay. Oh, hey, by the way, Abraham, up the road. You know, that, that, that bunch of tents up there, all those herds. You know, have you heard? She's expecting a baby. And chuckles. Laughter. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So faith and promise. God had promised. They believed God. And these two have a baby. And by the way, how old is Abraham? You saw it. How old? He's 100 years old. Okay. A miracle from the Lord. So Sarah had borne the burden of childlessness for decades and decades. A heavy burden, indeed, because in the culture at the time, you were looked at as being under the curse of God or the gods if you couldn't have children. People must have smiled, laughed when they heard that her husband's name was Abraham, father of a multitude. <laughs> and he's only got one son, and that was years before through an Egyptian servant. His name's Ishmael. But that was far from a multitude, and Sarah had not given birth to a child. But now all of the reproach was ended, and they're rejoicing with the arrival of this son. But the birth of Isaac involved much more than parental joy. And here's in your outline now, look at letter A there. First, his birth meant fulfillment, fulfillment of God's promise. When God had called Abraham, he promised to make him a great nation that would bless the whole world. And that goes back to chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And by the way, God will repeat that promise to Abraham. He'll continue to encourage him with the promise. He's not taunting Abraham. He's reminding him, don't lose faith. Keep trusting me. I haven't forgotten what I promised you. Then he repeatedly promised to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants. That's chapter 17 and verse 7. 
and to multiply them greatly. And, and what are some ways, help me, that God said, I'm going to multiply you greatly, and it's your, your descendants are going to be like. And what are some physical illustrations that he used? Saying on the seashore, what else? Yeah, look, look up, see all those stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Abraham would be the father of the promised seed. And Sarah, not Hagar, but Sarah would be mom. The birth of Isaac reminds us that God keeps his promises. But here's what you have to remember. He does it in his own way and in his own time. You never have a reason to doubt God. Wouldn't you love it if God answered his promises in your time? That'd be, oh, that'd be so much easier. Well, just remember that when God promises, it's his character that that depends on. Not your circumstances, not your chronology. All right. So in spite of their occasional failures, God is faithful. Abraham and Sarah believed the Lord, and God honored their faith. In Hebrews 11, 8 to 11, talk about how they believed God and what God did. Now, let me just ask you a question. Was God going to renege on his promise if Abraham and Sarah stopped believing? No. Say, well, uh, really? Yeah, really. Because we know that they stopped believing. Hence, Ishmael. Some other things that happened. They, they did stop believing. Realize that even Abraham's little scheme of telling his wife to tell Pharaoh, you're, tell him you're my sister. What was he afraid of? Well, he, he says it. They're going to like you and they're going to kill me. Okay, stop for a moment. God had made a promise. If, if they kill Abraham, can the promise be fulfilled? So is something going to happen to Abraham? No, it can't. Why? God promised. So those lapses of faith, God works through those things, continues to strengthen their faith because he has made a promise and he is going to fulfill it. And, and the greatest empire, the Pharaoh, the greatest empire, he's not going to change what God has promised. So... Again, letter A, this birth meant the fulfillment of God's promise. Letter B, Isaac's birth also meant the rewarding of patience. The rewarding of patience. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for their son to be born. Now, it, as you look back over your lives, 25 years doesn't seem like such a long time, right? Okay. And, and isn't it true, the older we get, the slower we may move, but the faster time flies. Would you agree with that? I, it's amazing. Okay. But if you're waiting for the promise of a child, 25 years is a long time to wait. It really is. They waited that long. Hebrews tells us it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. They had to be patient. 
Trusting God's promises not only gives you a blessing at the end, but it gives you a blessing while you are waiting. Because God grows your faith. He strengthens and strengthens and strengthens your faith. God has said it. That settles it. And I just need to wait on the Lord. Just as Olympic athletes develop their skills as they practice hard, long uh, days before the big event. So God's children grow in godliness and faith as they wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. Remember that faith is a journey. It really is. And each happy destination is the beginning of a new journey. And, and remember that along the way, God will test your faith, grow your patience, keep his promises... But none of that's ever final because there's always another reason we need to trust God, claim his promises. But those previous times are intended to help us wait on the Lord. Okay? When God wants to build our patience, he gives us promises, but also allows for trials. Old age is a threat to having children unless God's promised. And so he tells us to trust him. Letter C in your outline. The birth of Isaac was also certainly the revelation of God's power. The revelation of God's power. Have you ever thought about the fact that God makes you wait so that when he fulfills his promise, there's not any doubt in anybody's mind that God is powerful? If they had had the promised heir as young adults, well, some would have dismissed the promise. But when, when dad's 100, there's, there's just no doubt about this. Okay. This is what God has done. Revelation of God's power. That was one reason why God waited so long. He wanted Abraham and Sarah to be as good as dead as far as their bodies and their ability to produce a child. Their son's birth would then be a miracle from God, not a marvel of human nature. Couldn't be humanly explained away. Really, Abraham and Sarah experienced God's re resurrection power in their lives because they yielded to him and believed his word. You realize in the Gospels that when God healed withered limbs and, and those other physical, you know, made the blind to see, you do understand that those are, those are miracles of renewal, renewed life. If an eye cannot see and God causes that eye to see, you're looking at physical changes to that eye or to those who were deaf, or to limbs that couldn't walk, and, and so on. So when God allows an old couple, okay, and if, if you've reached 100, if you're a century old, that's old, okay, uh, nobody here is there yet. So 
Stop pointing at Ron Reed. That's not nice, okay? It's just not nice. I hope when I'm 60, I can keep up with Ron Reed, okay? I'm just being honest. Love you, brother. If I keep eating what he bakes, I won't make 60. I'm just saying, okay? But, but think about this. Again, at their age, for, for the body to be able to have a child, you have life-giving resurrection power taking place by God. Okay? And so we're reminded, Luke one thirty-seven, that no word from God shall be, and this is literally what it means in the original, shall be void of power. When God speaks and he sends forth his word, do you understand what happens? It is energized by infinite power. You can't stop what happens when those words go out. So when you read your Bible and God makes a promise to you, realize he has spoken, and hell itself cannot stop those words. And you can trust them. All right, finally, letter D, the birth of Isaac was a step forward in accomplishing God's purpose. God had an eternal redemptive plan in mind, and they get to be part of that plan. Every part of it, by the way, is miraculous and from God. So the birth of Isaac was a step forward in accomplishing God's purpose. The future redemption of a lost world rested on this little baby boy. By the way, later on, the redemption of the whole world would rest on another little baby boy. Where was he born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Isaac would beget Jacob. Jacob would give the world the 12 tribes of Israel. And through Israel, God would give Messiah. Down through the centuries, some of the living links in the chain of promise may have seemed insignificant and weak, but they helped to fulfill the purposes of God. So if you're reading through your Bible this year, I just finished reading, and some of you uh, have too, Ezra and Nehemiah. There are names in those two books I can't even pronounce. There, I love to think about the fact that there, I'm reading names in those books of people I'm going to walk gold streets in heaven with. They believe in God. Okay. But except for that one or two mentions in Ezra and Nehemiah, they kind of pass off of the scene. But think about this. They were a vital part of God's redemptive plan. After 70 years of captivity, they are willing to trust God, come back to Israel, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, set the stage. Ezra's preaching. Nehemiah laying down the law. We are going to honor God. You're not going to marry foreign wives. We're not selling on the Sabbath, etc., etc. And, and these guys are sticking their necks out. And what did God do through those people who uh, are in, in a vulnerable place back in the promised land under a, under a mighty empire that's not theirs? They're slaves. What's God doing? Preparing the stage for Messiah. They got to be a part of his plan. And by the way, 
you and I are part of that plan too. Now, if you wonder if what you do is really important to God and his work, don't wonder. He's done the work of redemption in you, and he will continue the work of redemption through you as you yield to his spirit. Don't feel defeated, discouraged. Remember Abraham and Sarah. Remind yourself that faith and promise go together. God keeps his promises and gives you the power to do what he wants you to do, what he's called you to do, no matter how long you have to wait. And I'm thankful I, I get to teach this lesson to this group this morning. Some of you have been claiming promises and you've been praying for decades and you're still waiting. Abraham and Sarah remind us faith and promise keep waiting. And I hope that will increase and strengthen your faith this morning. Keep waiting. Uh, yeah, but I've prayed for this wayward child of mine for 25 years. Really? Can you still trust God? Sure you can. Sure you can. Don't quit. Don't stop. Continue to believe. No matter how long you may have to wait, you can trust God to accomplish his purposes. So, don't faint. Any comments or questions on this first section? Abraham, Sarah, faith and promise. Any, any thoughts that you have? All right, let's go on to number two then. Isaac and Ishmael. This is really where the allegory starts, but we're going to see from God's word that this is what the Lord teaches us about these two young men. Okay, Isaac represents the work of the spirit and Ishmael the work of the flesh. So Isaac and Ishmael, spirit and flesh. Let's go back to God's word. Genesis 21, look now at verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking, ridiculing. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous to Abraham's sight because of his son. In other words, Abraham loved this son. All right, Isaac and Ishmael. I want us to hold our place here now, and let's, just so you know that this isn't Asher making things up. I, I believe by now you know, I try to be very careful. If we're going to say something from God's word, it is in fact God's word. But let's go to Galatians chapter 4, and let's see what Paul under inspiration says about Isaac and Ishmael. Chapter 4, look at verse 28. Now we, brethren... As Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he was, uh, he that was firstborn after the flesh, 
persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now, and here's the idea, it is now with you. So do you see what Paul does? He takes Isaac, he takes Ishmael, and he says, all right, now, here's what they represent spiritually that is true of you Galatians. And we would say this, true of those of us, believers, uh, church age, right here at Good News. So Paul makes it clear, and let's put this in outline form. First of all, letter A, Ishmael represents the believer's flesh decisions. Isaac represents the believer's faith decisions based on the Spirit's direction and work. So it's, it's simply this way. When Abraham decides to go in to Hagar to try to have a child, was that the Lord's leading or was that the flesh leading? But which one was it? Clearly it was the flesh. That was never God's plan. Okay? It was the flesh. Ishmael was born of the flesh because Abraham trusted his fleshly wisdom and Sarah's, by the way, to have a son. Isaac, however, was born of the spirit's direction and enablement because by that time the parents physically should not have been able to have a child. Their bodies were dead. Only God's power could have brought conception and birth. Ishmael was born first because the natural comes before the spiritual. Let me say that again. The natural comes before the spiritual. Which, by the way, is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born of water, natural birth, and of the spirit, physical birth. Okay? Uh, Again, so that we're seeing this from Scripture, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now please turn over there, chapter 15, and notice verse 46. Now, of course, speaking about the resurrection, teaching us about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 46, Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but what comes first? That which is natural, and after that which is spiritual. So again, Paul, Paul confirms that. He helps us to see that. It's worth noting that in the biblical record, God often rejected what came first. Now this, again, this is a Bible study, Bible teaching time. I hope you're, you're thinking class are you thinking are you with me do you ever have teachers say that i always look back and say yeah of course i'm with you i'm, I'm sitting at this desk waiting for the bell to ring yeah i'm with you <laughs> all right but but we need to be focused because watch how these spiritual truths work often the firstborn was rejected and god accepted the secondborn instead God rejected Cain and chose Abel, Genesis 4. He rejected Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn, and chose Isaac. Remember that he bypassed Esau and who was going to get the blessing. Not Isaac's firstborn, but he chose Jacob. And, and, and God promised that before those boys were ever born. 
He chose Ephraim instead of Manasseh, Genesis 48, and, and it got a reaction out of Joseph, the dad, when Jacob is blessing Joseph's boys. Whoa, 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 you've got this mixed up. No, no, no. There's a reason why God rejected the first for the blessing and chose the second. Why? Because he's helping us see that God is not about the natural. Okay? In his plan, he's going to emphasize, even in these lives, the cho choice of who gets the birthright in his divine plan. He is showing us, I continue to emphasize the spiritual, that which is of the spirit. You're going to have to trust me, not the flesh. Does that make sense to everybody? Isn't that great? All right. So in Egypt, the Lord condemned all the firstborn. That was one of the plagues, remember? Exodus 11 and 12. He spared only those who were twice born. Physical birth, and then there had to be a spiritual response to what God said. And in that case, it involved a sacrifice, take the blood, put it on the doorposts and over the top. If you aren't willing to trust me for that, you don't get to continue to live. Okay, see what he's doing? And of course, there it was the blood of a lamb that spared those lives. And in a sense, in old Egypt, the firstborn became twice born. They got to live because the blood of a lamb was applied. What wonderful imagery. So this brings us to letter B there in your outline. Isaac pictures the child of God's faith. Not only in his birth, but also in the joy that he brought. Do you know that God intends for your faith to bring you joy? You trust God, and the blessing of that, part of the blessing of that is joy. Isaac means laughter. At this time, it was not the laughter of unbelief. Remember back in Genesis 18, Sarah's listening through the tent. God makes a promise, and she goes, <laughs> yeah, right. Don't ever do that when it comes to the promises of God, because God hears you. And I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be cute or trite, but you know what? He's going to get the last laugh. When he promises, it's going to happen. And you may have laughed in unbelief, but everybody's going to laugh in a joyful way because God's going to do what he said. In the parables recorded in Luke 15, Jesus emphasizes the joy that results when lost sinners repent and come to the Lord. People believe God, repent of their sin. Receive Jesus as Savior. There's immediate rejoicing in heaven, even among the angels, and there's rejoicing here. If you've ever led somebody to the Lord, the immediate joy and the peace that sweeps over them. I, I wish I, we had time. I could pause right here and have Brother Lennon come up and just talk about the conversions that they're seeing where he serves. I mean, it's just like, Oh, my religious past that brought me nothing but fear, and now I have Jesus living here. Ah, it's wonderful. The shepherd also rejoices when he has found a lost sheep. The woman rejoiced when she found her lost coin. 
They both asked their friends to come and rejoice with them. The father rejoiced when the prodigal son came home. Remember the feast that, that he had? Um, he invited his neighbors to share in that joy. There's even joy in heaven again when sinners are saved, the scripture tells us. And don't forget that the fruit of the Spirit, when by faith we yield to the Spirit of God, He takes control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then what's next? Joy. Joy. That which is of the Spirit. Nowhere do we read that Ishmael caused Abraham joy. I encourage you to look at your Bible. And try, to, try to find where, where Abraham really received joy from Ishmael. Did he love him? Did they have their times, those dad and boy times? I'm, I'm sure there was. And I'm not saying that there was never a joyful time with this son. But the Holy Spirit in Scripture never points out, this son really brought this dad joy. In fact, as you look at it, the, the results of that flesh decision, it was just one time of heartache after another with Ishmael. Though we know his dad loved him. From before his birth, Ishmael was a source of painful trouble. After he matured, he caused even greater conflict in his family. The flesh is not able to produce good fruit. It certainly cannot produce lasting joy, no matter how hard it tries. Now note a third comparison between Isaac and the child of God. Let her see in your outline, Isaac represents the growth needed by the child of God. He represents the growth needed by the child of God. The Bible tells us, Genesis 21 and verse 8, that the child was weaned. It reminds us that the new birth is not the end, but it's the beginning for a Christian. And the believer must feed on God's word and grow spiritually. And there are so many texts that we could look at uh, for that. Uh, but just, just bear in mind does the scripture for the believer only talk about the sincere milk of the word? Does it only refer to that needing to be our nourishment? Yes or no? What else does it move on to later? Meat. For those who by exercise, those who have, have matured, what do they take in? It's time to move on to meat. Okay? As we mature in the Lord... We put away childish things, 1 Corinthians 13. We allow God to wean us. Now, understand this about what the text is teaching. When we talk about this weaning, we're talking about maturity. Growing to the point that you don't have to rely on mom for nutrition anymore. That's the point. We're talking about maturity. Don't think this. Well... This is speaking about independence. Your children may not depend on you for that nutrition anymore, but do they still depend on you? Yeah. Even though, what's their tendency? I'm six years old. I got this. You know, and his parents, remember, you'd step back and you'd watch that and laugh. Yeah, you got this. I'm here when you need me because you're going to need me. I used to watch my kids and they'd be working on this and they'd be, you know, and they'd get so angry, so frustrated, and then they'd come to the parent. 
Well, that's all part of learning. I understand that. But isn't it, doesn't it picture what we do as Christians many times? I got this. Until it's all coming apart. And then we go back to the Lord. We should have been talking to the Lord and yielding to him through the whole thing anyway. So we're not talking about independence. We're talking about maturity. This is consistent obedience. That's maturity over consistent failure. That's where immaturity comes from. People that yield to the flesh instead of to the spirit. All right, so the weaning. Isaac represents the growth needed by the child of God, where we become self-feeders, but at the same time we continue to yield to the Spirit for help. Okay, so I can stand here right now and say your spiritual growth is dependent upon your self-feeding. If the only spiritual nutrition you take in is when you come to church on Sunday, you're in trouble. All right. Again, Pastor Lennon, nowhere in the scripture does it say that God's people are mainly dependent on the shepherd to feed them. He can lead them to the green pastures, but the sheep have to decide to eat. Okay. And God has given us his word, and the good shepherd is the one that leads you to the main feeding, and you have to do that every day for yourself. Next, Isaac represents the believer in a fourth way. Letter D there, every, like every child of God, Isaac experienced persecution. That is part of the maturing process. It was part of the maturing process for Isaac. And the scripture tells us, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the opposition was from that which was born of the flesh. In Isaac's case, his persecution came from Ishmael. So he's having to deal with the flesh decision of his parents. In the same way, the flesh and spirit remain contrary to one to another. They never work together, according to Galatians 5, 17. The flesh wants its way, the spirit wants his way, and he deserves it because he loves us and knows what's best. And it's like this, our entire existence. So yield to the spirit. Don't yield to the flesh. So consider this illustration of the flesh. Looking again at Isaac... And Ishmael. Jewish children were usually weaned about the age of three. Here's what you have to understand about this text. It's not a toddler picking, picking on another toddler here. Okay? Uh, Ishmael, at this point, is probably around 17 years old, according to Genesis 16, 16. So, imagine a 17-year-old making fun of, belittling, harassing a three-year-old. Would you agree with me that's a pretty immature 17-year-old? But that's what was happening. What a picture of the flesh. Does your flesh ever amaze you at how immature you can be sometimes when you yield to the flesh? Oh, man. I don't know how many times the Holy Spirit has smacked me with that one. 
Mike, what are you doing? Grow up. Did I really just react to my child that way? My wife that way? The waiter at the restaurant because I think they forgot me? By the way, they're short-handed in case you haven't noticed. Be nice to them. All right? <laughs> they're short-handed. But, but immediately, it's like, you know, can't they see that my drink needs to be refilled? And the Holy Spirit says, would you just grow up? And I need that reminder. What is that? That's flesh. I need to yield to the Spirit. What arrogance that a boy of 17 would pick on a three-year-old. But God had said that Ishmael would become a wild man. Remember chapter 16 and verse 12. God, God said, all right, here's what he is going to become. I do have a plan for Ishmael, but he's going to become a wild man. If you want to just write this down, this is interesting. Do you know what the Hebrew is in chapter 16 and verse 12? All right, and I know I'm on live stream. I, I could go places with this. Here's what the Hebrew is. He is literally a wild donkey of a man. Now, some of you already had it. The Holy Spirit's saying he's going to be a jack donkey. Okay. That's what the Holy Spirit said. Say, where did they ever come up with that phrase? It's biblical. It's biblical. And if you're controlled by your flesh, people could have some choice descriptions for you too. And me. We need to yield to the Spirit. Letter E. Let's finish up this section and then we're going to have, we have to be done. Letter E. Isaac represents the believer a fifth way. When you become a believer and are born of the Spirit, you are born rich. You are born rich. Isaac was the heir of all that Abraham owned. Romans 8.17 says that God's children are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, especially chapter 1, describes the inheritance that God has for you. Not when you get to heaven, you're a child of God, you already own it. Wow. Think of the descriptions of heaven and realize you own that. You are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are as much a son of God, and I'm being very careful here, as the son of God. You say, you're really straight. No, no. Scripture refers to Jesus as our brother, but here's the main distinction. I will never attain deity he is God. Okay. So I want to make that very clear. I get into heaven on his merits, his righteousness, none of my own. But, but I'm loved with the same love that God loves his son, Jesus. And I get to inherit heaven. 
it's mine. I already, it's, and, and you and I already have a place prepared for us there. That's why he went back. Okay, when you got saved, you became rich. So next, think of that the next time you consider the parable, Luke 16, of the rich man and Lazarus. I believe that that is an actual story of what happened. Jesus is all-knowing. He doesn't have to make up stories, though there are times that he did. But I believe that every time the Lord attached names to people in those stories, they're real accounts. Realize that that beggar sitting outside of a rich man's gate who is so poor he has to eat crumbs, he can't afford any medical help, the dogs are, and he's so weak the dogs are licking his wounds. The moment he believed on the Lord, he immediately became a rich man. And what he had in Christ cannot compare with what the rich man had on the other side of the gate. That's, that's who we are. Abraham cared for Ishmael while the boy was at home. But Abraham gave all that he had, Genesis 25, 5, to Isaac. And then finally, I'll give this to you and then I'll let you go. Finally, this is letter F. Like every believer, Isaac was born free while Ishmael remained the son of a slave, which meant he remained a slave. Okay, so there's, there's an, another part of this imagery. Isaac, born free. Ishmael, born a slave. And from what we've learned about Ishmael, the whole rest of his life, he was a slave. He was a slave to himself. Isaac knew the freedom of walking with God. See the contrast between the spirit and the flesh? If you're in the flesh today, you're in bondage. You're in bondage to you, and you are the worst master you can have. But when we say no to the flesh and we yield to the Spirit of God, there is liberty. Because now I am free to do what pleases Him. I'm free from guilt. I'm free from having to depend on my own strength. And He gives me unlimited strength. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.